Welcome back to part two of our episode on lease renewals under the 1954 Landlords and Tenant Act. I'm Nikki Fairbairn, I'm a partner in the commercial real estate team. And in this episode, I'm going to be continuing my conversation with George Taylor, a senior associate in our real estate litigation team in Manchester, and Alex Archihofska, a solicitor in the commercial real estate team, also based in Manchester. If you haven't had a chance to do so already, please do listen to part one of this episode. Let's move on to the green lease provisions, which are perhaps the most common new clauses introduced by the landlords on the lease renewal with the aim to reduce the environmental impact of premises. Nikki, what has your experience been with clients in relation to green lease provisions on renewal? Um, I mean, my view is that, well, I think it's probably the same for a number of people who will think that this is a whole different green world to the one that existed at the time that the leases we're currently renewing were originally put in place. And I suspect then there was actually very little recognition of environmental focus being needed at all. Um, So what that means is we are now seeing more collaborative provisions going into leases generally when it comes to sustainability, um, perhaps aligned with the ones that you might see in the model commercial lease, for example. But I think a lot more landlords, particularly those of a larger size who may have greater sustainability targets, for example, they are being much more dark green. Um, And even though we've had some delays recently with the green objectives that were introduced by the government, I think think we're still seeing landlords and tenants being fully committed to trying to deliver their own environmental targets. Um, It's perhaps a slightly unusual arrangement but the importance of sustainability and environmental performance has actually been picked up through law society guidance as well that was issued back in in january last year january 23 because in fact solicitors are now being brought into this and being actively encouraged to talk to their clients about whether they should be including green provisions in leases um so when they're drafting and negotiating them they're actively encouraging their clients to look at things like model green clauses that they may be able to 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 use in the drafting um i mean i think this is probably an attempt to make it much more standard practice that we're talking about these things and including these provisions and non not just one that's picked up by for example the most sophisticated of owners or occupiers of, of various premises Um, And I think really to help with all of this, as I've mentioned, there are provisions out there that people can use. I've mentioned the model commercial lease. Um, That's got its uh, own schedule of sustainability provisions, which you can include in in any documents. There's also the Chancery Land Project, and they've got a number of um, precedent green clauses in its toolkit, which again can be used. And all of this is designed to encourage Uh, various parties to adopt better and more sustainable behaviours when it comes to landlord and tenant arrangements. Um, It's not directly relevant here, Alex, but but there is a bit of a fun fact for you here, which is uh, the the Chancery Lane project, their dark green lease clauses, when they've been pulled together, they're, they're basically aligning with the Paris Agreement goals. So this is all about representing best practice. Um, now, they may be things that we think are still slightly out of reach, unfortunately. But what I think is both fun and quite clever is how the Chancery Lane Project have given each of their suggested clauses a child's name. So that really, when we are looking at them, we're reminded that it's not just about the leases that we're negotiating now, but it's about the next generation and they, you know, them being the ones who are going to benefit most from these provisions. Um, and if I give you an example, um, Hannah's clause 
uh, is the provision that allows landlords to include costs where they're making improvements for environmental performance to, to the various buildings and recovering those costs back through the service charges where, where the works aren't, aren't needed because of statutes or whatever. Um, it's just a really nice touch and uh, I must remember at some point to actually look at what my son's <laughs> named clause is as well. Thank you, thank you. Hannah, that's, that's a very, very fun fact. I, um, I don't think as transactional lawyers we negotiate the green clauses by referring to their names, but it could make negotiation more fun. Um, just to clarify on the terminology uh, that you used um, in terms of green lease provisions, we often refer to dark green clauses and light green clauses. Um, would you be able to um, clarify what is behind those shadings? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So the dark, the dark green and the light green references, um, it, it's all about, as you say, shading. It's all designed to outline how effective the provisions are going to be in improving the environmental credentials of the property. So perhaps logically, the dark green clauses are the ones that have much more bite to them. They're the ones which are legally binding. Now, in fact, when you agree the lease, you're usually watering, watering that down slightly so that if you didn't quite comply with them, it wouldn't be a breach of the lease that might lead to forfeiture. But those dark green clauses are designed to be ones that show really significant levels of commitment from, from both parties usually, um, and they cover more than just energy efficiency. So, um, for example, you might have an obligation on a tenant to only use sustainable materials when they're carrying out any tenant works or um, to only use power which comes from renewable energy sources. So those are much more of the dark green lease clauses that we would see. On the other hand, you get light green clauses, which um, they're not really legally binding. I mean, what they do do is look for a commitment still between the parties, but it's a much more limited commitment. So it's all about improving energy efficiency and, and working together to see how that might be possible. And in fact, it probably breaks down into three main areas. Um, we talk about data sharing. So it's really capturing the information. And that's how we're going to learn from the experiences we're going through and being able to share that data makes us hopefully try and meet the, the agreed targets. It also helps us generate KPIs and, and, and helps thinking about future benchmarking. So data sharing is something we see a lot. Um, it's also probably about sustainable practices. It's putting obligations on, on both parties, the landlord and the tenant, uh, to, to adopt various practices really, but just to work together to make a building more energy efficient. So cooperating, sharing ideas, setting objectives, but again, it's that partnership. And then the, the last one, which we've sort of briefly touched on before, is, is the MEES drafting um, and compliance with MEES. Is, is, is a big topic at the moment. I know we've done a previous podcast on it before, in fact, but technically MEES is a landlord obligation, but in a lease, you'll see a raft of issues which need to be tackled, and that's dealing with both parties' interests and both parties' involvement in, in making a difference and complying with those regulations. Thank you, Nikki, for reminding our listeners about the minimum energy efficiency standard, and we encourage to look up our previous podcast to um, find out about this in more detail. Uh, but coming back to our um, green clauses on race renewals, um, Nikki, could you tell us what the landlord and the tenant will want to achieve uh, by these clauses? I assume the objectives won't align here. Yeah, um, I'll be honest, Alex, it, it, on renewal, it's a really difficult topic because quite often the landlord and the tenant objectives around this 
just aren't going to quite align even you know if i'm honest you may not even be in, in agreement about anything to do on the energy efficiency and that's not because of our desire not to make a difference it's simply down to the commercial reality of what we're trying to negotiate so clearly landlords want green buildings they want them for investment purposes for example so i suspect if the landlord on renewal had a wish list it's going to want the tenant to do things like um uh, as mentioned use you know environmentally friendly materials when it carries out works or um comply with the landlord's regulations when it comes to suggestions for improving the environmental performance of the building um the landlord might want the tenant to pay for the costs of those improvements uh, whether it's through a service charge or, or otherwise and it for example will also want the tenant to pay for any new epc that might be needed for the property as well so and and the, the landlord's really keen that if the tenant doesn't do something then it the landlord can step in and do that instead and usually recover the cost back from the tenant as well so it's actually looking for proactive support and and actions from the tenant but on the other hand unfortunately even though the tenant is probably going to have its own objectives and sustainability criteria it is going to want as a tenant control over the costs that are incurred and it'll probably want to minimize those costs when it comes to actually supporting the landlord and any of the landlord's plans about improving the environmental performance of the building for example if I'm honest, sometimes we do see people just not wanting to make contributions at all, and particularly if there's nothing in the existing lease, expecting the tenant to put his hand in his pocket and be obliged to get involved in initiatives or energy management plans, for example. It's quite a, diffi a difficult point on lease renewals, Alex. Thank you, Nikki. Um, and George, um, what's the court's position on uh, green lease provisions? Have have the courts been reluctant to impose them on a renewal lease? Yes, yeah, so in terms of um, minimum energy efficiency standards, the case of Clipper Logistics and Scottish Equitable, that provides a relatively recent working example of the approach that the courts are taking. So in that case, the landlord sought to make the tenant liable to comply with MEES through a, a, a raft of new terms. Um, it was a renewal of a lease granted in 2010, so that was pre-MEES. The judge rejected most of the terms, but what the judge was persuaded to do was include a clause which obliged the tenant to return the premises um, with the same EPC rating as it had at the date of the new lease. And what the judge said was uh, that term uh, needed to be included and it could be justified on grounds of essential fairness and it was a fair and reasonable change. Without that clause the landlord wouldn't have had much at all in the way of protection against action or inaction by the tenant uh, which could reduce the EPC rating. So but I mean a general point is that any attempt to introduce new clauses which require the tenant to deliver up the premises in a way that complies with MEES is almost certain to be met with some resistance I'd say. The tenant will say that the new clauses unreasonably shift the burden of compliance from the landlord to tenants whereas on the other hand landlords are going to say that reasonable modernization should apply as Mies introduces an entirely new burden that wasn't cont contemplated by the parties when the initial lease was entered into um, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in court in the future, particularly as yeah, these these issues aren't going to go away. They're going to become more and more uh, commonplace. 
I think we should move on to rents, which is also an interesting uh, point um, on a lease renewal and specifically turnover rents. Uh, Nikki, have you noticed a trend with turnover rents um, and which party asks for it, landlord or tenant, um, and why? Do you see the parties wanting to include turnover rent provisions on a lease renewal? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, turnover rents, particularly in certain sectors like the retail sector, I mean, they, they've been on the rise for a while now, I think, actually, Alex, but, um, you know, this is obviously linked to where tenants are becoming a little bit more astute and they're actually asking their landlords to to share in the ups and downs of, of any property's success, really. And obviously that rise has been massively accelerated because of the pandemic Um and tenants, as a result of that, were actually looking for a rent that was directly linked to the income that was generated at each of those premises. So whether it was successful or not, really. Um, now, certainly, I think a large number of the uh, medium to large sized units in shopping centres, for example, tenants there will actually have a, a business case which is based on a, a base level, so a minimum amount of rent being paid so that they know the you know, landlord isn't out of pocket, for example, but really the the super profit comes when the business is a success. And that's because the unit is a success and the centre that it's in is a success. So it's it's really a bit of a stick sometimes to beat a landlord with, I suppose, in terms of ensuring that they do their part in making those, for example, shopping centres, you know, a, a success, make sure they're proactively managed, make sure they're thinking about what the future of those centres is actually going to be. And it means that the landlord works alongside the tenant. As a result, the tenant's income goes up. And as a result, the, the landlord's turnover rent increases as well. So I don't I, I don't expect to see surprised looks on tenants' faces when turnover rents are mentioned. But I suspect it's probably held back slightly, at least until there's a comfortable conversation having happened about what the base rent figure is going to be. Thank you, Nikki. George, is there any guidance from the courts on turnover rent? Yes, um, there was a case a few years ago now um, in which the court decided whether it had discretion to order turnover rent in a lease renewal. Um, that related to JD Sports' unit in the Derby, Derbyan Centre. Um, here, uh, the tenant's previous lease contained a base rent with a turnover top-up. It was a unit that um, the tenant was performing particularly well at, so the turnover figure was pretty high. Um, the parties couldn't agree the rent under the new lease. Um, the landlord was looking for the status quo to remain, basically a turnover rent to stay in place, whereas the tenant was proposing a fixed rent. Under the Act, a court will base the rent payable under the renewal lease on the rent which the property might reasonably expect to be let in the open market by a willing landlord on the same terms as the tenancy and disregarding the tenant's occupation, goodwill and improvements. Now, the court's decision here, it's clear that they do have the ability under the Act to order a turnover rent, but in this particular case, they were reluctant to do so. They said that turnover deals are so specific to an individual tenant and landlord circumstance and that doesn't always easily sit within the requirements set out in the Act. Here, um, therefore, the court declined to order a turnover rent. Thank you, George. So 
it becomes a commercial discussion between landlord and tenant, and it looks like they will have to sort this dispute uh, amongst themselves uh, rather than referring to the court. Um, we've discussed the landlord breaks today, pandemic rent suspension provisions, uh, green lease clauses, and lastly, turnover rents as examples of the new provisions seen in the lease renewals and how the parties to the lease as well as the courts perceive them. What is a fair and reasonable term I will probably differ in all circumstances, as uh, you, Nikki, and George explained uh, today. Um, however, we hope that discussion today offered some direction to our listeners, whether the courts are likely to include the provisions in the lease or not, and it could be a guidance for negotiation of new terms on the lease renewal by the parties. Nikki and George, uh, do you have a final piece of advice for the landlords and tenants on approaching negotiation for the new provisions in a lease renewal? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go first because I think um, from a transactional perspective, Alex, I think the key when you're looking at a lease renewal is to dust off the current lease well in advance of getting to any of the timescales that that might be needed for a renewal proceedings and to really look at it carefully to think about the existing drafting that's in there and the provisions that you've got in the current lease and really what they might or, or frankly might not cover and allow for when you try and translate it into the modern property market that we're operating in and when you have that understanding of what is in the current lease think about how it might translate into what your key must-haves are going to be for the renewal negotiation because i think that sets you on a good footing for for the negotiations i don't know about you george Yes, I'd agree, Nikki. Um, and it's, I'd also say it's often better to enter into discussions as early as possible regarding the potential renewal. Um, at the very least, that will give you an idea as to what items might be in dispute so that they can be considered in more detail. Um, I mean, what we often see from a litigation perspective is the earlier we can narrow down issues, the better. Thank you for golden advice. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Lockcast. Nikki will be with you on the next one. I'm sure you'll be happy to know this and I'm happy to hand over. Um, thank you to the speakers and to those of you listening. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, you all. Thank you.